Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, stop. (laughs) So you remember me? Okay, cool. Well, it's great to be here today. And uh, thank you, Pastor Doug, for the invitation. Wonderful to be able to join with you guys. Uh, I was coming just to do an information meeting for the Israel trip. And uh, Doug said to me at lunch one day, while you're at it, why don't you just preach? I was like, okay. So here we are. Um, I got to warn you, though, I may be just a little bit rusty. So thank you for not jumping up and running toward the doors. Uh, actually, ushers, if you could bar the doors right now, that would be great. Well, it's great to be here. And of course, you know I'm doing something a little bit different now in a role directing first century foundations. And uh, I want you to know, though, this is still our church. And you may have seen us here over the last few weeks. We've sort of re-engaged after Christmas time. And so we've been journeying with you in this series. But uh, just, you know, an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about the ministry that I'm involved with. I know that, uh, you know, my predecessor in, in a strange twist of fate is now here on your staff. But First Century Foundations, the website is there. You can check us out. I don't have time today to talk about the ministry. I'm here to preach a message for your series. But I know Pastor Doug's going to invite me back one day to just talk about the ministry. And so I'll just put him on the spot right now. And that'll be great. We'll come back and do that. So check out the website. You can follow me on my, my uh, social media accounts. There's a slide up there you can follow. We also have a resource table out in the foyer today. And uh, you'll notice that the author of most of our resources, all of them actually, is somebody you know, uh, Pastor Joe Amaral. And so let me just uh, in particular point out the book Understanding Jesus. In this Searching for Jesus series, a lot of the material that, that we are covering together, uh, you can find some great insight in this book, and it goes you know, deeper than what we have been talking about. And so I want to just encourage you. And also, there is a DVD by the same title, Understanding Jesus. And uh, everything today, now listen carefully. Uh, if you're watching online, I don't know how we're going to figure this out. You might have to email me at jeff at firstcenturyfoundations.com. But, but today only, here at Portico, uh, normally all of this stuff is $20 each. But just for you, because I know you, $15 for everything today. Isn't that, isn't that great? Right? So make sure you stop out at the table. And um, listen, last thing, more than anything, and I actually forgot to mention this in first service, but more than anything else... Uh, stop by the table, and would you just fill out a a little card there that says that you will pray for Israel. There is just some very exciting things going on in Israel, but also there are some things that are of great concern that are happening in relation to Israel right now. We need people to pray more than ever. And so if you would pray with us, uh, we do a bi-monthly newsletter. We have the Israel Prayer Watch, and uh, we have some copies of those out there if you want to grab them. But, But we would really love for you to just commit to praying with us, okay? 
So, back to the message. We're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus in this series, Searching for Jesus, and this has been incredibly rich with meaning and application for our lives, and, and I've been enjoying this teaching right along with you. Uh, you know, we talked about the bread of life. We've talked about the light of the world last week. You know, the logical end of that thought is, is that we are the light of the world, right? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, referring to himself, but then he also said, to, his, to, to those who are listening, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be, cannot be hidden. And so there's, there's more than just reflecting the light of Christ. It's the light of Christ that is in us and that shines from us to the point where we become. We are the light of the world. We're not the source of the light, as Pastor Joe you know, explained to us last week, but we have the light in us. And so just some really incredible things that we've been talking about. This week, we're looking at another statement, and I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, take them out right now or your, your smart device. Look up John chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. The, uh, the, the text really starts in verse 1. We'll cover a little bit of, of those early uh, verses, but I want to just read from verse 11 through 16, and here's what it says. I am, as Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. This man runs away because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I, bring, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for the incredible truths that we find here. And I pray, Lord, that you will help this word to find a resting place in our hearts. And God, I pray that you will help our spiritual ears to be sensitive, Lord, so that we might listen and we might hear and follow your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I am the good shepherd. And I'm going to just jump right in. Like we've been doing, we're going to ask and answer for you three important questions. And we're not going to put the first question up on the screen just yet. I wonder, can anybody guess what the first question might be? Anybody at all? Look at your fill in the blanks. Okay, you can put the blanks up. Nobody? Oh, wow. Same question as last week. Who said it? Who said it over here? Context. Brenda Dunning. You just won yourself an Understanding Jesus DVD. Give her a big hand. Come on up here and get that. What's the context of this statement? So should I tell you I cheated or no? No, not at all. Um, What's the context of this statement? Now, she gets a free Understanding Jesus DVD. If you'd like one, would anybody else like one? You can get them at the table out at the back after the service. (laughs) Now, unlike the past couple of weeks, Jesus doesn't make this statement around a specific location or event or festival. Uh, how many, you know, you sort of enjoy those, those actual interactions, uh, you know, Jesus at the temple and so on. But this one is a parable. It's more of an illustrative story. And he makes the statement in order to, to frame for us some thoughts around this idea of a shepherd. So we want to know, who's listening? Who's listening? Well, first of all, the Pharisees are listening, right? He has just finished uh, an exchange with the Pharisees where uh, he healed the man born blind. 
What a powerful story. And uh, he heals this man born blind, and there's all kinds of controversy that erupts in the synagogue because of it. And so he's just, he's still sort of in this vein with, with the Pharisees. He's, he's just told them, actually, that they're spiritually blind. So they're listening. And then there's another group who is listening. We know from the end of the text, verses 19 to 21, about many Jews who were also listening and who heard Jesus' words, but they were still divided in their opinions of him. And so at any rate, he's speaking to, to a Jewish audience, Pharisees and some other, some other Jews who were there. But there's another question, and that is not just who's listening, but how would what Jesus was saying to them about sheep and shepherds be significant to the people who are listening. What would it mean to them? You know, for us in North America, certainly in urban North America, uh, when we hear the statement, good shepherd, I mean, unless you've been around the church for a long time, at first blush, you would think, well, that doesn't really mean a lot to me. It doesn't really resonate. How would these people understand it? Well, I want to I just frame that for you a little bit. We've just come through the Christmas season, haven't we? And we remember some shepherds in, in the Christmas story, outside of Bethlehem on the hills. We have a picture here, actually, of the shepherd's fields just outside Bethlehem. And uh, this is taken in the spring when everything is nice and green. Uh, and so uh, that's where we, we go. We stand on a platform up there and are, are near the place where perhaps the shepherds were tending their fields on that, that first Christmas night. So we know about shepherds, uh, the lowly shepherds. By the way, that's just one of the beautiful scenes that you see when you travel to Israel. How many of you have been to Israel before? Great. How many would like to go? Ah, okay. Well, I'll see you right after the service. We have a trip going this October. We have an information meeting following the service out in the Atrium Cafe, which is down in the front. Uh, and so we want to just encourage you, come see me after the service, and we'll talk to you about, about the trip. Back to the shepherds. Um, you know, they... We always talk to them about being lowly shepherds, don't we? Why do we do that? We were in sermon prep a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Joe kind of brought this up. He said, we, we say they're lowly, but were they really? You know, were they the, the lower members of society? And we got looking into this, and, and actually, shepherding is, is a backbone of, of the Jewish culture. Uh, there's, there's just so much here that we, we need to understand. And when we think about them as lowly shepherds, well, that's a North American kind of, kind of thought process. It's a city slicker sort of approach. You know, we think, oh, you know, they, they looked after the animals. They were, they were the lowly shepherds. You know, I hope we don't feel that way about, about our agricultural, uh, you know, engineers of today because I, I, for one, am glad that there's people out there raising livestock, right? Yeah. How many of you love steak and veal and, uh, you know, leg of lamb, uh, bacon, right? Oh, come on, don't gasp like that. I love Israel, but I love bacon, too, okay? This is one area where Joe and I just, we don't agree. Bacon is amazing. By the way, actually, I'm a, veg did you know that? I'm a, actually a vegetarian. Yeah, no, really, I, I, I only eat animals that eat vegetables. 
Shepherds in the Jewish culture were not actually lowly. For centuries, herding sheep and livestock had been their sign of of wealth and status. The larger the flocks, the more wealthy you were. And these were not lowly shepherds. There's this culture of agriculture in in the the Hebrew way of life. And herding sheep was a long-handed-down legacy of the people of Israel. And so when these Jewish leaders and these others who were there heard Jesus speak about the good shepherd, they had some context for this. They understand, you know, the the shepherding culture. They can make some connections. Their patriarch, a guy named Abraham, was a shepherd. We know it from Genesis 13 when he and his nephew Lot come up out of Egypt. It says that they had amassed large flocks and herds. They were shepherds. Uh, Later, Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, worked with Laban's flocks for 14 years in order to earn Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, as his wives. I I hope it was worth it. But anyway, um, before before all was said and done, it says that when Jacob finally left uh, the, the country there, that he had amassed large flocks of his own by that time. Jacob was a wealthy man because he was a shepherd. Joseph, when he sent for his family for Jacob and, and his brothers to come to Egypt. You know, they, they said, make sure, Joseph said, make sure you tell the Pharaoh that you're, that you're shepherds, that you work with livestock, because Egyptians detest shepherds, and that means that he's going to give you the really great land outside of the city for you to be able to raise your flocks. Their hero, Moses. How many of you know what Moses was doing when he came across the burning bush? Anybody? He was a shepherd. He was tending his father-in-law Jethro's flocks on the backside of the desert. And so, so there's this shepherd theme throughout the Old Testament. God refers to himself in the Old Testament as a shepherd. Psalm chapter 78 and 52, the, the worship leader, uh, Asaph, he sings these words. But he, that is God, he brought his people out like a flock, and he led them like sheep through the wilderness. The prophet Isaiah, talking about the sovereign Lord in Isaiah 40 and verse 11, says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What a beautiful picture of God. And so, one more. The psalmist David, King David, is a shepherd boy himself when God finds him, when he sends Samuel to anoint him as king. And he wrote some of the most famous words in all of Scripture, Psalm chapter 23. What did he say? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. I don't have time to get into this one today, but I'll tell you, you're going to look at this in a little more depth, the the 23rd Psalm in your growth groups this week. And and, uh, I think Pastor Joe will touch on this in the growth groups experience as well. So I want you just to sort of be thinking about that. There's beautiful imagery here. So it's against this backdrop of Jewish culture. This is the context that Jesus makes his statement, I am the good shepherd. And that brings us to our second question, and that is this, why did he call himself the good shepherd? Why did he say that about himself? Well, throughout the Gospels, Jesus at at different times is trying to communicate to the people who he is. Sometimes he tried to tell them very directly. We have the messianic miracles, you know, one of which was the man born blind. That's a messianic miracle because only God could heal someone born who was blind, who was born blind from birth. Everybody knew that. And so when Jesus performed that miracle, it was a clear message. I am the Messiah. Now, in other places, Jesus is a little more cryptic about his identity, and he lays clues out there, like in this text, this parable 
of the good shepherd. He's, he's reflecting back to this Old Testament thematic thing about shepherding and also to some prophetic things as well. When, when we understand that, we sort of see the hints that Jesus is giving. And so this, there's this cryptic way of getting the message across. In the context of, of Jewish and Hebraic culture, by calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus was aligning himself at the very least with all of these great spiritual leaders of the past that we talked about who were, who were shepherds, but also aligning himself to God his Father, who the prophets talked about as a shepherd and, and the prophecies mentioned as a shepherd. And then we get specifically into prophecies about the Messiah himself. And before we go there, let me just, you know, at the same time, I want you to think about this. Jesus was not only, you know, uh, aligning himself with people like Abraham and Jacob and, and Moses and with God the Father. He was also contrasting himself with those who are, are bad shepherds. And there are a couple of texts, uh, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, where you can read about the bad shepherds. And when Jesus, you know, is contrasting himself, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not the bad shepherd, right? There are bad shepherds, though. And I think he's, he's maybe, you know, getting a little dig in at the Pharisees. And, uh, you know, he uses very similar words in Matthew 23 when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees as he does in Jeremiah chapter 23, as the prophet does in Jeremiah 23 about the bad shepherds of Israel. You can look it up, okay? But maybe even more convincing than the connection between the shepherd language of the Old Testament about great leaders and about God himself are the specific prophecies about the Messiah that reference the fact that he would be a shepherd. Look at Micah chapter 5. Christmas time, we read this text, you know, about Bethlehem. Uh, you know, but, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And we stop there. But look what it says in verse 4. This, this one who will rule, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Micah prophesied the Messiah would be a shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but the shepherd, the good shepherd. And so Jesus stands and he says, I am the good shepherd. And by saying that, he's giving them all kinds of clues about who he was. He was essentially saying to the Pharisees and to the others who were there, I'm the Messiah. He's saying it to them and he's, he's saying it to us today. I am the Messiah. But he wasn't just saying, he wasn't just saying, I am the Messiah. He was also giving some amazing clues and insight into what the Messiah is like and what the Messiah would do. And so I want to just draw out for you a few of the things that, that Jesus said here and look at them together. I know that, you know, we've talked about this before, the difference between Greek and Hebrew thinking, right? The Greeks, they think in terms of, of specifics. They're very black and white in their communication and their language. But the Hebrews, uh, they like to, to paint pictures. They like to, to, to give illustrative kind of, kind of pictures. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Where the Greeks, Greeks communicate in black and white, the Hebrews tend to communicate in, in technicolor. And so that's what Jesus does. And we see it here in the, the parable of the Good Shepherd. He's painting for us a couple of different scenes or scenarios in the text. And I want to just look at this first one. And, and we need to understand the shepherding culture in order to, to know what it is that Jesus is saying. So we go back to the beginning of chapter 10. 
because Jesus introduces this first scene when he begins to talk about the sheep pen and the gate. So this first picture we see is that of a sheep pen with a physical door or gate. And here's what you need to understand. Typically in Jewish culture, when the sheep were pasturing close enough to the village, they would actually bring them in, back into the village every night to to sleep overnight. And they would do one of two things. If they had two or three or four sheep, they might bring them into the to the, the lower room on the main level of their home. They might bring them right inside the house. And they did that because of, you know, for safety and protection, but, but also uh, they did it sometimes for the heat of the, the animals, right? The, the heat would help to heat up the, the home. But if they had larger groups of sheep or if a number of families went together uh, to sort of look after the sheep overnight, one would build a, a, a sheep pen outside of the back of the house. It would be attached to the back wall of the house, and it would be about five feet high or so. And on the top, in the plaster, they would put jagged thorns, and, and uh, you know, nowadays they use pieces of glass and all ki- kinds of interesting things to, to deter the thieves who might try and come over the wall. And so this is the picture that, that Jesus is painting. He says, there's a sheep pen, there's a gate, and there's a watchman. The watchman would be, uh, you know, either someone that they hired to, to come and watch the sheep pen overnight and make sure that, that nobody came in, or it would be someone assigned from one of the families, and they would rotate and take responsibility to be the watchman of the gate. So this is the imagery. Jesus says, you know, when I come and I call out to the watchman, the watchman knows my voice. And not only that, but, but the sheep know my voice. And the sheep hear my voice, and I lead them out, and they, they're able to, you know, go in and out and, and find pasture. They follow me because they know my voice. It's a beautiful and amazing picture of the care of the Savior. One of the books I was reading a couple of weeks back had a, a more contemporary account of a situation like this. It was someone who wrote in the 19th century, just a couple hundred years ago. And they were in uh, Palestine, they were near uh, the hills of Bashan, which is, uh, you know, now we, we refer to it as the Golan Heights. And they, they said this, they observed this, this, the shepherds, they said, led their flocks forth from the gates of the city, and they were in full view. We had a, you know, we had a great view. They must have been up high on, a, on an observation point. And we watched them and we listened to them with great interest. Thousands of sheep and goats were there, they said, grouped in dense colorful, confused masses. They, the shepherds stood together until all of them came outside of the village walls. And then the shepherds began to separate in different directions. And they said, as we watched, it was, it was amazing because each shepherd started to call out their own shrill, definitive, you know, peculiar call. That none of them were the same. And as they began to, to, to call out this, this call to their sheep, they, they watched in amazement as one by one the sheep separated from this group of thousands and began to follow each individual shepherd in lines, you know, out in toward the hills, these separate lines. Isn't that an amazing picture? That's, that's how the shepherd calls us. The sheep, the Bible says, Jesus says, the sheep, my sheep know my voice. And so we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. The other imagery that Jesus introduces here in this first uh, scenario of the sheep and the sheep pen in the village is that he, Jesus, he says, is the gate for the sheep. That's what he says in verse 7. I am the gate. And that through him the sheep go in and out and find pasture. And so this gives that sense of, of 
safety and security. Thieves and robbers only come to steal and kill and destroy. But through Jesus, you know, he says, through him we have life. And we have life to the full, or we have it more abundantly. That's, that's the context of that phrase, abundant life, is that, you know, we go in and out and find pasture, and we do that through Jesus, who is the gate. Now, it's a little confusing, isn't it? I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, but I'm also the gate. Does that, does that trouble anyone at all? Well, no, you're not going to say it does because you don't want to seem less spiritual, but, but it is a little confusing, isn't it? How can he be the shepherd and the gate? Well, I want to show you that before we're done here today because the very next scene that we look at, this second scenario, uh, is our text, uh, including and following verse 11. And Jesus speaks there of the threat, a different threat, okay? In the, in the first scenario, they're inside the village. The main threat is from thieves and robbers, either individual thieves or gangs of robbers who come and try and, and steal the sheep. But in the second scenario... Jesus is talking about a different threat. He's talking about wolves who come to attack and to carry off the sheep. And this introduces a very different picture than that of the sheep in the village because wild animals would rarely come inside the the village boundaries at night, okay? They were afraid to come into the village. And so often as the season would move on and the pastures near the village would become less and less appetizing for the sheep, Uh, You know, I showed you that beautiful picture of the green hills outside of Bethlehem. That was taken in uh, sort of March, April. When we go in October, November, those will be very brown looking. And that's what happens in the Holy Land because they only have like three months of rain. And so the the shepherds would have to, to take the sheep further and further and further away from the village in order for the sheep to be able to find good pasture. And so the second scenario where, where wolves are the threat is because they would get so far away that it would be impossible to take the sheep back to the village every night and put them inside the sheep pen. And so here's what the shepherd would do. The shepherd would take uh, wherever they were, he would find a place where he could uh, gather brush and, and pieces of you know, wood and stone, anything that he was physically able to move, and he would arrange it in such a way that he could make a, a makeshift sheep pen, kind of like he has at home, but of course, it's very makeshift. It's it's temporary. But he would leave an opening. He would leave an opening about this wide, just wide enough for the sheep to go in and out. And here's what would happen with the opening. He didn't have a door. And so at night, when it was time, when the sheep were all inside the pen, the shepherd would build a fire a little ways out from the opening to discourage any of the animals that might come. But then the shepherd would actually himself lie down across the opening to the sheep pen. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the gate. John 10 and verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on and he says it again in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Why is that significant? It's significant because the shepherd is also actually the gate who lays down across the opening of the pen. Isn't that awesome? And so when when an animal would come and try to get into the sheep pen, they'd have to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. How many of you love it that that's, that's our Jesus? He is the gate. He is not just the shepherd, He is the gate, 
And he is there to put himself between the dangers outside to lay down his life for us. We look at the picture of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53 and there's this prophecy that the Messiah will lay down his life. Isaiah says that he will, he'll take on himself our pain. He will bear our suffering. He will die for us and that he will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins or our iniquities. And then one day, you know, then he'll end up in the grave. And he says, all of this is going to happen for one reason and one reason only. Because we all, will you read this aloud with me? We all like sheep. Say that again. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What are we like? Uh Uh-huh. We're like sheep. And because we're like sheep, Jesus the good shepherd will lay down his life for us. We know that he did that on the cross, don't we? We know that that's what Jesus did. And so we understand this concept. It's such a powerful picture. There's no greater love, John says in chapter 15 and verse 13, than for someone to lay down their life for a friend. Jesus promised he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And at the end of, of his statement of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, he says, he says, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age, the very end of the age. And so he is always with us. Jesus is always with us. But do we recognize him? Can we hear and can we recognize his voice? Remember earlier we talked about the fact that the the sheep know the shepherd's voice? Well, I want you to watch and I want you to see for yourself just how amazing this is. Let's watch the screens together.
Isn't that amazing? Now, you know, the video's not the greatest. There's a bit of wind noise. But how powerful when those sheep start to come out of the fog toward the shepherd. Such a powerful, powerful image. And I hope that it's etched in your brain because that's who our good shepherd is. So we wrap up today with the very last question. And the question is this, what's the appropriate response? We know he is our good shepherd. Now we, we have a little bit of insight into why and what, what that means, the power in that illustration, in that image. You know, the National Center for Voice and Speech in Denver, Colorado, says this, voices are as distinctive as our faces. No two are exactly alike. Some will even go so far to say as they are as distinctive as fingerprints. And you've seen all those movies, you know, where voice recognition is, is required for high-level security. And if, if your voice is not recognized by the computer, then you don't get in. You see, there's something about a familiar voice that is unforgettable. It, it's in the, the timber of the voice. It's in the lilt of the voice, the tone of the voice. You ever been somewhere and you heard a voice behind you and you thought to yourself, hey, I know that voice. That ever happened to anybody? Sure it has. And you turn around and sure enough, there it is, that person you were thinking about, right? I remember when our kids were, were small and, and uh, Sharon was with them one day in the car and a couple of their friends were with her as well. They, she had four kids in the car and uh, she was involved in an accident. She was, she was T-boned by another vehicle. And I was not with her. I, I remember the phone ringing in my office. And I, I picked up the phone. And all I said was, hello? And as soon as she heard my voice, she burst into tears. Why is that? Because my voice was familiar, but it was also the voice of someone who, who loved her, who cared about her, who, who it made her comfortable enough to know that she was speaking to me, her husband, who, who would protect her, that, that she could let go of her emotion and just be who she was. Up until that moment, she had sort of kept it all together. But in that moment, just hearing my voice caused that, that emotional response because she knew my voice. You know, we read a little bit further in the text. Jesus goes to the Feast of Dedication. He, he attended the, the Hanukkah celebration. Hanukkah is older than Christmas. I think you knew that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. He goes to this, the Hanukkah celebration, and when he's there, there are more people who come to him and say to him, listen, you know, stop keeping us in suspense. Are you the Messiah or not? Just, just tell us already. And Jesus says this to them. He says, I did tell you, but you're not listening. You're not listening. And then he says it again in John chapter 10 and verse 27. He says, and this is just later in the same chapter that we're talking about today. He says, my sheep know my voice. They, do they know my voice? Yes. But what does he say here? My sheep listen. Listen to my voice. 
I know them, and they follow me. And so I ask you today, do you recognize God's voice when he is speaking to you? Can you hear his voice? Are you listening? The appropriate response for us today to the, to the parable, the story of the good shepherd is to listen and to follow. It's to listen and to follow. Don't miss the shepherd's voice. He is calling to you today. There are all kinds of other voices in this world that are trying to get your attention, that will try to distract you from the voice of the true shepherd. But don't get distracted by all of the other voices. The prophet Isaiah writes, and he says this in chapter 30 and verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And so you say to me, well, how? How can I hear God's voice? Well, he speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? How many of you still reading your life journal readings or you're doing some other kind of Bible reading devotional plan? You need to do that, but you need to do it not just to tick off the boxes so that you can say you got the reading done, okay? You need to read it and you need to listen. What is God saying to me through, through his word today? Because God speaks to us through his word and we need to listen for his voice. 40 days of prayer. We're in that 40 days of prayer focus right now. Did you know this? That prayer is... Is, is two-way communication with God. You know, we pray and we think, I got a lot I got to say. I got a lot to get off my chest here. So God, I hope you're ready. Just kind of listen up. No, no. Prayer is, is two-way communication. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 33 and verse 3. And this is a, this is a life verse for me for 2017. I read this uh, just toward the end of the year and God just spoke to me so definitively. It says this, call to me. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. You know, when we pray, we like to just talk, 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 talk. We love to do the calling part. And sometimes because we're talking, we miss the answer. We miss the answer. You say, well, you know, God doesn't speak to me. Guess what? I've said that before. I actually said it recently to someone. I said, God doesn't speak to me the way he speaks to you. And this very wise person looked back at me and he said to me, he said, well, have you asked him? And I thought, you know, I just kind of, I thought, well, no. Like, I, I guess maybe I haven't. I guess maybe I haven't asked him to speak to me that way. And so we need to listen. Are you listening to hear what God might say? There's all kinds of stuff that's going on in the world. And God doesn't always, he doesn't speak in the fire. He doesn't speak in the earthquake. He doesn't speak in all of the the loudness. Sometimes it's just that still small voice that Elijah heard. And so I want you to listen and I want you to follow. That's what That's what the appropriate response is. God can speak to us through other people as well. And you might be here today. You're not a follower of Jesus. God may just be speaking to you through this message because Jesus said, you know what? I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, but they will listen to my voice too. And the invitation is open to anyone who will come. God said, if you listen to hear my voice, you'll hear my voice and I I can be your shepherd as well. And so if you're here today, you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to challenge you. Today could be your day and I want to pray with you right now. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word today.
powerful word. I pray that, God, you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, as you speak, we will settle ourselves enough that we will listen, not just to hear, but also to follow what it is that you say to us. And Lord, for those who are here today, they've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. They've never said yes to Jesus. I pray that in this moment, God, that you will speak to their hearts and that they'll be listening and they will follow. And I want to give you a chance to follow right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today. You say, you know what, Pastor Jeff? I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never started this journey of faith. Today's my day. If that's you today, you need to say yes to Jesus this morning. Would you, would you just, if you're hearing God's voice, just lift your hand right now. I just want to pray with you. That's all I want to do. I'm not going to center you out. It's private, just between you and God. Anybody at all. Say, today's my day. I need to say yes to Jesus. I'm just going to wait for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? You can put it down. I'm just going to just wait for a second. This is important stuff. The shepherd is calling. You hear his voice? You just need to say yes. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I pray for these who've raised their hand. Lord, help them just to say yes in this moment, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need you to be my shepherd. I want to follow your lead. I want you to come into my heart, into my life. Make me a new person. Forgive me of my sin, the wrong things that I've done. Lord, I I give myself to you. God, as they pray that simple prayer, just come and meet with them in a wonderful way. Thank you for your word today. Lord, just be with us in the closing moments of this service, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.